welcome to the Voice of Aged Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Badgick-Smith, and in over a decade, I have helped to improve mental well-being of hundreds of older Australians. This podcast offers an authentic insight into well-being in late life, practical tips for those who support our elders, and all the inspiration to keep you going. I truly believe that every older person has a number of strengths that can be uncovered and promoted to help the older person achieve better mental well-being despite the changes in their health status. Hey, welcome to another episode. Today, I wanted to talk to you about staying motivated at work and dealing with client turnover. Now, I know that over the last couple of years, everyone's motivation has been up and down, and many of us have been in a survival mode rather than a thriving mode. And dealing with the issues that often come when supporting the elderly clients, such as change in service provider, change in, in engagement of clients, clients passing away. For whatever reason clients may leave us, we've had to deal with turnover of clients or disengagement in service if in particular they have been worried about the impact of COVID and not being on board with the usual service that that you provide. So in this episode, I wanted to start off by talking about what, what is your role and why does your role exist? Is that to deliver personal care? Is it to deliver allied health support? Is it to deliver nursing support? Is it about recreational activities? Is it about medical support? I mean, it's all kinds of different level of support that elderly people need. And I think it's really important to know that part of the role of what we do indeed deals with people whose health has been compromised and whose health is not as good as it used to be. And so the part of the role that we perform deals with clients exiting, clients you know, passing away and no longer being part of the service. So we work in a setting where clients do come and go and it is almost in a way, you know, a transaction that we see whereby we have client engagement and client disengagement. The similar can be said also for children who start daycare, finish daycare, start schooling, finish schooling. And I guess, you know, they all have their journey they, that they go on. And so similarly for, for those of us who work with the elderly clients, client engagement and disengagement is part of the process. And so for us, staying motivated at work and dealing with client turnover is part of the package. And I guess the the difference being in, in an aged care setting is that we don't really know when the client will disengage in service, change providers, when their health might decline, when our service will no longer be required. As a psychologist, I know from my own experience, when I had clients engaged, when they started having early signs of dementia, when do we stop delivering psychological services and support? And for me, one of the ways that I have been able to draw the line is when that person stops recognizing me and what my role is. If they don't know who I am and what my role is, but they're not necessarily going to benefit from the service. So I know that 
not everyone can use the formula that I've used and why in my experience, because if your role is as a physiotherapist, there's different ways you can engage with clients who are in, in palliative care, who you know might need more passive treatment. If you provide personal care, even if the client doesn't know who you are, they still need to be fed, they still need to be washed, they need, still need to be attended to. So you, you're not able to use the same principle that I do to disengage clients. But I think that regardless of what your role is, it's important to know, well, hang on a second, we are here to provide a service and empathy and delivering empathy in what we do is, is so, so important. And so when we talk about empathy and what, what does that actually mean, you know, it's a huge topic that I can go on for half an hour, but just to, to know that, you know, empathy is when you really understand the feeling of another person, but you're not necessarily sharing the same emotions as them. So you're not necessarily feeling the same emotions and feelings because that's sympathy. That is sympathy feeling and exchanging the same emotions. So empathy is an important topic. And why empathy is so important is to recognise that it will enable us to understand a bit more what is going on for our client and what is going on for them and their the support needs. So we need to be mindful as to what type of empathy we apply when we engage with clients and when they disengage with, with our service. Do we need to use compassionate empathy when we have a genuine concern for the clients and their welfare? Do we need to use cognitive empathy where we can really understand and think from the perspective of our clients? Or the emotional empathy where we feel the emotions that our clients are experiencing as well. And this all, you know, the role of empathy also helps us understand a bit more within our roles what it is and how we stay motivated and how we expect empathy from our team members or our managers or supervisors to help us continue doing and keep doing the work that we're doing as well. So when we think about the fact that this work can often feel like it's not appreciated, that it's you just seem to be going through the same motions that you're experiencing client turnover. It's really important that we we tune in and understand that it is a difficult role and it's not for everyone, but that there is a purpose and meaning for what you're doing and that the same skills that we use in our communication with our clients we also need to use in communicating with one another and looking for opportunities where we can upskill ourselves and our knowledge in how to best support our clients and also how to best look after ourselves as well. So I've always been very passionate about ongoing training, education and learning. You know, this is part of the reason I went back to uni after having done my, you know, my master's and gone back to do a PhD because I was very keen to learn more about these topics and really keen to understand more about the relationship of emotions in clients and how does that affect the workforce and figuring out what is emotional contagion, what is burnout, what is emotional regulation, how do we absorb energy from our clients, how does that affect our performance at work and what can we do to reduce the impact of negative emotions 
in clients on us and our net well-being, as well as vice versa, how important it is about how we present in our roles when we come to deliver our work and what happens if we are perhaps in a bad mood? Does that affect those around us as well? This episode is proudly brought to you by the Beyond Reluctant Move book, Practical Approach to Wellbeing in Residential Aged Care Facilities. Let's together beat the myth that depression and dementia are a normal part of ageing. Grab a copy today from wisecare.com.au. So the role of active listening and nonverbal communication is so important, not just what we say, but even more so how it's said. And I think one of the, the positive things that have come out of the pandemic is just realising how important it is the way we communicate. because. I'm quite sure that most of you wearing the face mask, wearing the guard, wearing, you know, glasses or PPE gear has impacted communication, even with those whose hearing and eyesight is good, let alone those who have compromised five senses and are not able to understand your communication and on top of that might be experiencing dementia. So think about the active listening what does that actually involve and what is our nonverbal communication? And knowing that for those clients who are confused, who might be experiencing emotional changes, that nonverbal communication of being geared up with a mask, being in PPE gear, it can appear to be threatening. Now, every time I run training session, I talk to people about verbal and nonverbal communication and what percentage of our communication do they think is verbal and what percentage is nonverbal? And often people say, oh, you know, it's 50-50, it is, you know, 60-40. And they want to actually say that verbal is only 7% and nonverbal is 93%. People always go, whoa, how is that even possible? And it is possible. And it is possible to look at how we communicate and how we relay the message and how that message is received. So if you can walk away from listening to this episode of podcast by being more mindful about active listening and how you communicate with those around you and how they communicate with you as well and see what kind of conclusions we we come to. Because the way that something is said is so much more significant than what is actually being said. And so sometimes the way we communicate and the way that others communicate with us can affect our own well-being, our motivation, and our ability to deal with the challenges of our role as well. So I know sometimes, you know, you've probably been in a situation where you are conversing with someone and they're saying something to you and you just can't wait to jump in and say something for yourself. And, you know, clear the air or clear the situation, but it's just so important to be able to offer active listening and to to actually listen to what the person has to say without completing their sentences, without, you know, jumping to conclusions, just hear them out and see what their concerns are because chances are that they just want to be heard rather than having the, the problem fixed, rather than having anything changed. So when we talk about the the resilience building activities, a couple of very 
straightforward suggestions that come up again and again is that you know it's not it's not rocket science in terms of how we build resilience and you know often people say oh but you know my workplace I wish it was more supportive or sometimes you know I hear managers say oh but I have been so supportive to my employees I don't know what more I can do I say thank you I do this or that and I think that it's you know the, the resilience building activities really take part in the rituals and daily activities that we do on a, on a regular basis so does our gratitude for ourselves, for our health, for our ability to have a job. A lot of people have lost their jobs in recent years. And also for practice of kindness, how we practice kindness to those around us, those that we work with, those that we support, and how sometimes people who feel that, that they're not being appreciated perhaps need more, most gratitude than others. And people who at times have been you know, abrupt or rude or short with you, they're the ones that perhaps need even more kindness than anyone else. So resilience building activities at, at times of dealing, dealing with, you know, with COVID, dealing with challenges that you might find at work, are strategies where you learn how to address the challenges that come up. Oftentimes it could be due to misunderstanding in communication rather than a clash in personality or something a bit more direct. And so what I want you to walk away with from this session is just to to realise that in order to stay motivated in your work and in your line of work, sometimes it's not about doing more. Sometimes it's actually about taking a step back and being more mindful of what it is that you're doing or what kind of interaction you, you have, of being able to slow down for a minute and take a few more minutes in delivering the service that you do. It might not be about you doing more anymore in your work. It could be about listening better, about being more mindful, and about being more present. And I often hear from past participants of my workshops and courses it's just how eye-opening it has been sometimes, just slowing down and taking that opportunity just to be present with your client. It could be a simple strategy, such as asking them, asking your client, what are the five things that they're grateful for? Or what are the five positive things that have happened in their life that day, that week, that month, that year? And then you trialing out that same exercise yourself. What are the things that happened in your life that have been positive more recently? I'm not suggesting that you need to share this information with your client. I think it's even more important if you acknowledge it within yourself because sometimes when we when we support clients who need more help than ourselves we can lose our sense of identity and our sense of purpose and and motivation for what we are doing ourselves so my suggestion to you is to take a step back you know a lot of people might be tempted to at the beginning of the year to start journaling writing things down do lots of reading, do a lot of listening to episodes, watching Netflix. But it could be just simple little things that you might start doing. It's just every day looking at a few different things that you feel motivated by or positive things that have happened in your day or positive interactions that you've had with your clients and really embed them in as part of your own self-care rituals. And really Focus on the positive things that have happened to you at the end of a stressful day rather than brewing over a negative interaction that you may have had with a colleague, 
misunderstanding with a manager or a disagreement with your partner or a child. So the more we practice and embed these self-care rituals into our daily lives, into our daily practices, the stronger and more resilient we become. And a lot of the strategies that I suggest that we do with the older people are the ones that you can actually take a minute and reflect on yourself. What are the strategies and strengths that you have for yourself that help you be the best version of yourself? Is it about your daily affirmations that you say to yourself? It is about your your own goals, short and long-term, that you want to achieve? Or is it about sharing your holiday plans with your clients and when they, you know, might reminisce about spending a summer at the beach nearby, you planning on your weekends to go to that place and, and spend time there as well. And so you're engaging in mindfulness, you are engaging in reminiscence with your client, but you are also making plans for yourself and how to disengage at the end of a stressful day by engaging in something meaningful for yourself. You don't necessarily need to share with your client that, hey, we spoke about going down to, you know, Sunshine Beach and I'm going to do that, but more so about you taking that time out to think about the sensation of the sand on your feet, about going for a dip and finishing a rather stressful day on a positive note. Staying motivated at work and dealing with your client turnover is fairly stressful in itself, but if we embed simple strategies in our day-to-day functioning, in in the way that we engage with our clients and demonstrate empathy to ourselves, we'll achieve better outcomes. That is another episode of The Voice of Aged Care done and dusted. Make sure you don't miss out when I release the next episode by becoming a subscriber on over on your podcast app of choice. And if you can, please leave a review too. I'd love to know what you're thinking of this podcast and what you'd like to hear in the future. Now, the next thing you need to do is head straight to wisecare.com.au and check out my top downloaded resource five facts about me, which can drive better engagement with the elderly client regardless of your role in their lives. I'll see you at the next episode.